so the closing talk was supposed to be tomorrow morning, but something came up. And um, so it's going to be done tonight. Firstly, Seattle would like to thank everyone involved in making this retreat possible, and in particular, um, the people at Gaia House. Um, he understands the coordinators are volunteers and um, and they they do so much to keep the retreat going um, and um, and then he'd like to thank the yogis for being here Seattle is very pleased with this retreat. He feels heartened. And he's very grateful to all of us for practicing. For any one effect to take place, Yara says, many conditions need to come together. One thing is never enough. And only many conditions can coming together will give rise to an effect. So, so since we're all going home tomorrow, Seattle says it's his responsibility and as he always says, please continue practicing. And he'll say a bit more about that. When Seattle was young and would go to practice at his teacher's monastery, Every time he would leave a retreat, his teacher would remind him to continue practicing at home. But he never practiced at home. <laughs> and he, he really, literally, he would just throw it away. It's not that he didn't know how to do it, but he just wasn't interested. He would be very pleased with himself for having done the retreat, done, done well at the retreat. And then he'd go home and he'd think that he was fine, but he wouldn't continue to practice at home. But he wasn't fine, he said. You know, the moment he stopped practicing, the defilements would gain momentum again and then he would be in trouble again. And um, 
when he grew older, he began to get depressed. And three times he went on retreat um, and got better, but then he went home. And then he got depressed again because he didn't practice. But it was only when he was in in real trouble. He said he couldn't go back on retreat. He didn't have the time. He was super, he was superly depressed at home. Um, that it drove him to start trying to practice at home, he said. And it took years. Um, and it became better. But he really began to understand the nature of the Dharma, that it was something you had to to maintain in your life because it was a balance of energies and you had to keep maintaining that energy to keep it alive. He says, um, the unwholesome is so prevalent in the mind, the defilements there, so much around. And when we go on retreat, he says, they, they retreat a little bit. <laughs> they take a break for a little while. The defilements say, how long do you want to go on retreat? One month? Two months? Three months? One year? Okay. After that, it's my turn. I'll be back. Yeah, and the moment we finish our retreat and go home, they're waiting for us at home. And they, they come to greet us at the retreat center to take us home. So delusion loves us to say that we've finished practicing or finished a retreat. Then delusion can have a party. And once delusion holds the party, then all the defilements come to the party. So please continue practicing because um, a retreat is like going on course, learning a skill <coughs> or going for a training in camp. Um, and it's to learn a skill, but the where you have to <clears throat> put those skills to use is at home, at work, in life. Um, you know, you learn the skill a little bit, you gain a little bit of strength, but then you learn to become more skillful and more strong when you're home and apply it. Really learning to meditate is learning to live in a more easeful way. That's what it actually is. Yeah, I'm 
But when we don't meditate, Zara says, what happens is that um, the defilements have a field day. Um, they make us tired, they make us suffer, and life is really uncomfortable. Whereas if we would meditate, if we would use mindfulness in daily life, um, life would be more easeful, more comfortable. So why don't we want to use it? This is the trick of the defilements. They trick us into not wanting to meditate. I know depression people don't let But he was the same, he wasn't really very smart, he said. It took a big knock on the head, lots of depression being driven to the end, um, nowhere else to go. And this was the last resort. And, and as he began practicing, it's not that he understood so much about it. He knew how to practice, but he didn't understand the nature of the practice so much. He said uh, the nature of the benefits of the Dharma and all. But he did feel one thing, he said, as he tried to um, begin practicing at home. What he felt was, whenever he was aware, he suffered a little bit less. <laughs> and that was his only motivation for carrying on, being mindful. That it was the suffering and the knowledge that if he was aware, he had a little bit of relief from that suffering. That was his initial motivation to so keep the practice going. <laughs> He said, and he'd, he'd been practicing about four months like that, kind of hobbling along, trying to be mindful. Um, and after about four months, he said he had a little glimpse where he was trying to be mindful. And in that one moment of mindfulness, Sierra says, the depression totally lifted. Just one split second, totally lifted. And then it was back. He said, but that was enough. His mind sort of realized this was the way out. It could lead to the end of that suffering. And then he didn't look back. So that, that push, Siyadu said, that spiritual urgency, when we're in real trouble, we need that sense of spiritual urgency to um, to come to life. And so often he says, you know, that's what we need that push, the, some trouble in our life to, to get us to start practicing. And what happens is practice then makes us more comfortable 
and then we stop practicing. Oh, la 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 la, you know. I think I'm a defiant chap, but la, so tell him, ah, can I am a copy and loop, you know? He says, and then we go la 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 la, and then the defilements come back and they, <laughs> they hit us again. And then we get thrown to the floor, and then we pick ourselves up and start trying to practice again. Do you have motivation, Jaro? Oh, along the road, the depression, and you're doing and the good to say that I can't lie. Actually, man, do the motivation lie. But Lula letter to a thing any pit. Total then in any pit, to do something. Oh, take our book on and a thing any pit. But ten now, blue matinalum here at the And then he continued practicing, you know, with that knowledge that this could free him. And he just kept practicing through all his suffering. And, and um, yeah, it slowly lifted. The suffering lifted. Um, he became more peaceful. Um, and he maintained it. And then he says there was a second wave of understanding, a second wave that, that motivated him to keep practicing. And that was that, he said, when the, the defilements began settling and his mind was more peaceful, he began to have insights. And he says they were very deep into just the fundamental nature of things. So amazing that he could have never imagined that that could be so. Never imagined that this could be understood or how it was understood. He couldn't have imagined what that reality, that truth was. And that was amazing. And the desire to continue to keep understanding these, um, the truths of nature and um, the, the fundamental truths of everything, he, that was his, his second motivation, he said. He, he really wanted to keep understanding like that. So he kept practicing and he didn't stop. And he says, so, you know, the motivation to practice doesn't only have to be suffering. Wisdom can also be the motivation for practicing. It can give us a real push. And he says they weren't, he wouldn't even call those insights like very, very high insights. They were just normal vipassana insights, Sierra says. But he says it turned his view upside down. What normally is the perception of greed, aversion, and delusion was now the perception of awareness, wisdom, and a steady and settled mind. And it's a totally opposite point of view. So, and he said, you, there's no way to believe that point of view. There's no way to pre even imagine that point of view, Sarah says, because it's just a different point of view, one that we have to get to, realize, and then we understand what it is. <laughs> 
He said it's like a six or a nine. He says we look at a six and unless we go to the other side, we don't see the nine. So just the view is different of the same thing. And if we don't get to the other side, we can't imagine what it's like on the other side from this side. But when, you get, but when you get to that other side, Sierra says it's it's beautiful, it's wonderful. And and you want to keep knowing that and you want to keep practicing so that more of that will be revealed. Now the kuwa they are out of the jabi. And if we find that we've been practicing for years and years, and if we feel that there's not much change happening in our practice or in our lives, Yaro says, that's only because we haven't... Um, pushed on the continuity to increase, you know, for us to have more connected mindfulness. And um, so when there's not more connected mindfulness, the all the disparate wisdoms we have, all the little, little bits of wisdom we have, doesn't come together. And momentum takes time, right? We have to keep doing, gathering, and then it snowballs. That's momentum, it takes time. He says the momentum is like, he says, it's not that we don't gain momentum, like we come on retreat and he says maybe if on a scale of one to something, you know, we maybe go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine on retreat. And then we go home, it goes back down to one. Um, we come back on retreat and it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, because we haven't tried to keep some momentum going so that we're still maybe at, we maybe slide to seven, six, five, but not to one. So the next time you go on retreat, you can go further. So if we don't, you know, make the effort to have that some connectedness continuity in life so that on retreat we can pick up a bit further than where we, you know, not too far from where we left off, then Jadis is... <laughs> If we don't do that, then we find that we keep practicing, but it's, it's, we feel like we're not making ground. He says we go on retreat, we start to understand, you know, we, we start by watching the body, uh, we understand the feelings, and then we begin to notice the mind. Um, we explore the mind, body, feeling, mind, and then we, 
you know, we're getting a little bit of momentum, and then it's time to go home. <laughs> and then we don't continue practicing. So we don't get skillful at the mind. So And all the chaos that we experience in our lives is experienced by the mind. But what we know how to watch is the body, mostly. He says, we uh, walk a couple of steps, we are aware of our steps, walk a couple more steps, we are aware of our steps, and emotion arises, and then we don't know what to do, how to be aware, what to be aware of. (laughs) So if we don't know how to watch our minds, Yadav says, then it makes practicing difficult. He says, so if any of us practice continuously, it doesn't matter on retreat or at home, he says somebody who practices, tries for nine days, um, is different from someone, or, or ten days is you know, gains a different momentum from somebody who practices 20 days continuously. And it would be different for someone who at least kept the effort going for two months. Very different for somebody who keeps the effort going for six months. And that's about always having that intention and commitment to keep being mindful. Sarah says, not about being on retreat. So imagine the difference between someone who who did make that effort for six months and someone who has managed to keep making that effort for six years. Do you think that will be a huge difference? The experiences that they will have have had the understanding, the insights that they might have had uh, will become very, very different. It's just like our education, what we learn in kindergarten and then, you know, primary school, secondary school, university, if we do a PhD, um, the level of learning becomes very, very different. But we have to con- Keep studying. And as just as in studying, you know, we what we study and how we study becomes different as we uh, grow older and go up the um, those levels. Yaros is the same in practicing meditation. That as we keep that continuity and effort going, the way we practice changes. The way we understand He says, but so often we um, go back to retreat and we start, we're starting again. We're back to the basics again, rising, falling, anapana. 
But if we understand more and we have more momentum, he says, then our practice will start changing. Our practice will get to the most important thing. He said the, the guy at the at the top of the heap, the mind, the guy who's directing all the, the show. Um, but he says, if we don't have more momentum, we don't have more understanding, then we can't get to that guy, he said. We can't get to the mind. We, we have to start again with the body, the basics. We have, to, we have to build from the basics to gain that momentum. <laughs> Why can we practice on retreat but not at home? Because the way we think about practice is different when we are on retreat and the way we think about practice when we are home is very different. <coughs> Did I say that right? Hmm? Hmm? Did that make sense? Okay. Okay. <laughs> He says on retreat we wake up in the morning and we're thinking I have to be mindful and then we're thinking how to be mindful from moment to moment to moment to moment and then we eat mindfully we try this mindfully do that mindfully and then we try to go to bed mindfully he says but we don't do that when we get home and then when we go home, he says, whose home do we go back to? Huh? My home. Yeah, my home. So there's a big eye waiting for us at home. So everything we see and hear when we get home belongs to me has something to do with me. Is anything in your in your home not yours? Is there anything at home that you know that isn't yours? Doesn't concern you? No. <laughs> yeah, everything is ours. Everything concern, concerns us. He said, but with so much wrong view, then of course it's easy for the defilements to also grow, be there. So don't go home to your home, Sierra says. Go home to somebody else's home. It's true, he says. It doesn't belong to us because when we die, we leave it behind. If it belonged to us, we would take it with us. So if everything we see belongs to me and it concerns me, then um, when we have some defilement about it, it's going to be a very rough defilement, he says. He says the defilements we experience on retreat are nothing. When we go home, they're, they're tsunamis. <laughs> Here they're like lapping waves. At home they're strong, they're repetitive, 
and but kana kana lam e a chi the strong and repetitive yeah and go ma a ma chi blue look din sai ma so if we're um if we if we don't have the strength of practice with us on our side yourselves then how do we meet these challenges so if we want to i mean since you know everything we see here and experience brings up defilements uh, we also have to have awareness in everything we see here and experience he says um and it's only when we're on guard um and we are conscious of all our experiences through the six senses that we're just barely protecting ourselves yeah. and we need to become skillful at how to guard ourselves you know when we have experience through those sense, six sense doors and Sarah says you can take it slowly you won't be expert right away he says you can do one door at a time today i'll try being most aware of this eye sense door tomorrow the ear next day taste you know you can do things like that do a lot of hello here so feeling on chi here feeling main object in that how you sick that 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 it had to sick that that ni sick that that ni now thing ni sick up bovi that that la what he did was um, he watched his feelings a lot he was suffering and he watched that feeling a lot and he says the curious thing about being aware is when you're aware of uh, agitation it uh, starts to calm down and then when he stops being aware that it's calm it becomes agitated again but then once he recognized there was agitation and started watching it again it would calm down again it would clear again and once it was clear if he continued to keep watching the fact that he felt clear it became clearer and clearer but if he stopped knowing that it would slowly start to become agitated again and if he didn't recognize that the mind was become unclear and agitated it just continued to get more and more agitated and unclear and then if he recognized that finally when it's very agitated he says and slowly it would start to become down and day after the day he would watch this up down up down up down and what he began to see was why the mind became clear why the mind became agitated it's in the Satipatthana Sutta actually it says that when um, you know anything arises in the mind we should know it arises when it um, 
disappears, we should know it disappears. We should know why it appears and why it disappears. We should know why it increases and why it decreases. Why, why does something continue and grow? So as we watch and we understand all these conditions and the things that contribute to, um, you know, agitation or clarity and so on, he says, then the mind learns what to do to maintain the state that that it uh, understands is more beneficial. So first, first it was just about keeping continuity as much as possible, more and more, more and more. And then things become learned, you know, um, patterns are noticed, um, there is some investigation, there is some understanding, and then, um, yeah, then more peace, more continuity. Yeah, so this, these little understandings, these little lessons that we learn from all that continuous mindfulness, these are the ones that help us to learn how to keep the continuity, um, grow the continuity, maintain it, and so on. He says, we live with the same people, we um, have the same possessions, and if we're in fact mindful of our interactions with... Um, the people, the same people, and the same things, the same possessions. And if we're in fact mindful day after day, over and over again, he says, and generally we react, you know, we have un unskillful reactions and all that sometimes. And he says, if we are aware of this over and over, why would we not learn to become more skillful? How could we not learn? <laughs> So, for example, say you get angry with someone over and over, and, but you become aware of yourself every time you're angry, every time, every time, every time. Then the, some learning should begin, that anger should become less and less, if we're mindful. But, but we meet the same people and these things and possessions all the time, but um, our reactions don't get less. Right? He says we, we don't know what's happening. Things are just happening, but we're not um, watching them, so they don't change. We keep reacting like we always do. So 
So if we take interest in the practice, Yadav says, if we think about the practice every day, every day we think we, we set a commitment to, to practice and then at the end of the day we reflect on our practice, how much have we practiced, how much were we able to do, what were, we, what were we not able to do, and then we, we strategize, um, how shall I do it tomorrow? And then the next day you set the intention again, you try again, at the end of the day you reflect, how have I done today? How can I improve? What did I not do well today? What and then you try again the next day. And if we do that day after day after day. I do that to get sing when Zama to a cram strategy. He says, and if we um you know do this daily, Siara says, we learn our own strategies for dealing with our own unique um situations in life. We are all different, he says, and we have to create the practice that we need in our lives. In life, nothing is a hard and fast rule. And um, so we can't do a fixed practice. The practice has to become flexible and agile, adaptable. And resilient. So, I don't <laughs> So, Seattle's advice is please continue practicing. I don't know. And maybe we'll meet again. <laughs> maybe in Europe next year? One place or the other. So, um, initially, Seattle was supposed to give this talk tomorrow at um, 8.15 or something. And he was going to leave at 9.30. But, unfortunately, something happened with his um, air ticket, so it had to be changed. So... The 7 p.m. flight was moved up to 2.45. And that's why he has to leave early so that he can make the flight in time. But he understands that um, the yogis have, um, you know, have come in anticipation of the timeline tomorrow and, and some commitments have been made to the house um, for yogi jobs and all that. And he would like to... Um, Ask the yogis to please, um, if you've committed to a yogi job tomorrow and so on, please uh, stay and and complete that job because um, the house is depending on your support. And um, so if you had initially had um, an arrangement to leave at a certain time, please continue to leave at that time, he says. Please don't leave early because he's leaving early because it would uh, be a hardship on the people here. Yeah, this was not anticipated. Yeah. And um, the other thing is that, um, so we were supposed to be speaking from 9.30 to 5, and I know we've um, all continued to um, speak, but again, Seattle would like to request that we go back into silence especially in the house, um, just to respect the, um, 
you know, the the place and the people who help to run this place and, and just make it more easeful for them. We can go home tomorrow, but let's just be silent from now. And then when you get home, really practice. <laughs> so shall we do a group photograph now? Because tomorrow Seattle will be out the door at 8. <laughs> and there won't be the time to take photographs then because uh, yeah, we just want to make sure he gets to the airport on time. Do you, sorry? Um, so shall we do it here on the stage? Yeah, just please come forward. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.